0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Bitcoin in Asia from Bitcoin Magazine. I'm John Riggins and our guest this week is Charles Yang, head trader at Genesis Block out of Hong Kong. Genesis Block is an interesting company. They are a leading OTC trading center in Asia, headquartered in Hong Kong and with operations throughout the region and additional physical locations in Thailand and Korea. Uh, They also operate the largest network of Bitcoin ATMs in the region. And uh, the founders have their roots and continuing operations still in Bitcoin mining. Instead of trading, Charles oversees Genesis Block's OTC flows and prop trading strategies, and is thus a great source of insight into current market dynamics in Asia and around the world. Uh, We also talk about the nuances and risks of the OTC business in specific Asian markets, like Thailand and Korea, the trends that he sees in new customer interest in the region, the growth in trading products available and innovation on that front, and how Genesis Block plans to grow into the next cycle uh, and then increasing competition in the OTC space. So it's an interesting conversation, and I hope you enjoy it. Charles, welcome to the show. Hi, John. Thanks for having me on. For sure. Uh, for those who don't know you quite yet, can you give uh, tell us where you are and then give us a brief intro? Um, you're with Genesis Block.
1: Tell us a little bit about, about how you joined and uh, got started there. Yeah, uh, my name's Charles Yang. Uh, I'm in Hong Kong as of right now. Uh, I'm actually from Korea, but I've been living in Hong Kong for most of my life. Um, I got you know, my first step into crypto back in 2017. And that summer was when Genesis Block was first set up. Uh, we started off as a community space. Realizing that there's not a lot of safe venues for people to meet and learn about, you know, the basics around crypto, uh, where to trade, what kind of coins, scams and so on to avoid. And uh, we started doing lots of meetups. Uh, We're proud to be, you know, the only, the first and only Bitcoin center on Hong Kong Island, which is like the most downtown district uh, in Hong Kong. In Wan Chai. This is all. Can't miss it. Yeah, in Wan Chai. Yeah. And uh, we're doing this obviously for the community, uh, 100% for free. Um, The, you know, the revenue driver for us was actually OTC trading. And this is really the simplest form of trading for any individual or company that wants to simply buy or sell Bitcoin. Um, So our founders were actually from a mining background. I think they were mining as early as 2015. And they already had these OTC connections where they could find good liquidity. And we realized in Hong Kong, there weren't many players who were offering this uh, to the average Joe. So quickly, we were able to, what we call this back-to-back trading, where a client trades gives us, you know, a trade and we can offload it directly. Uh, We can constantly maintain a market neutral position and we're just basically working off a commission or a spread.
0: Right. Uh, So you touched on uh, kind of that mining background for the founders um, uh, with the event space. Also kind of the the ATM
1: market there. Uh, I think y'all are maybe one of the biggest... uh, yeah, um, ATMs is something that we've actually spun off into a different company just because of the nature of where the cash comes from, right? ATM is a non-KYC, purely cash business, uh, very limited in terms of size to avoid any kind of regulatory issues. Um, and you know, we our company still is running. Let me see you now, forty something ATMs, forty something machines. Across like fifteen locations in Hong Kong, and um, it's really a business that pays for itself uh, because you know the fees are quite heavy, but there's a constant need for these microtransactions and uh, what that does for us is not only get our brand name out there but also you know the name the crypto as a brand, just get it in front of more people, and we think over the long run it's going to pay dividends because they're going to want to do bigger trades, they're going to reach out to do OTC. And um, it's just building a pool of users that eventually could be a big market, right? For sure. Yeah, and the event space and then the ATMs all
0: around. I guess both uh, serve that purpose a bit, uh, and yeah. I've, they've uh, come in handy for me in the past too. So I'm glad they're glad they're around. Um, yeah. So if, if, yeah, if you're in a jam uh, and traveling internationally, lose a credit card, always uh, always nice to be able to hit one of those Bitcoin ATMs. Um, and then, so, you know, in Hong Kong, you have all these locations, you do have the one uh, meetup spot. Uh, can you talk a little bit about being in Hong Kong, especially over the last uh, year or so? Um, you know, obviously, uh, uh, yep, you know, one there's a lot happening there
1: specifically. Just talk, talk about that, If kind of any difficulty that's sure. associated with that. Yeah, so we really had that front row seat to the whole uh, protest that started from the summer of last year. I can't, I can't believe it's already been almost a year. Uh, It feels like yesterday where people were all wearing black walking down uh, Hennessy road, Mm -hmm. which is one of the major, very large road that goes all the way through Hong Kong Island. Um, And I think, uh, you know, a lot of people were talking about, okay, so when the majority of the population turns against the government, doesn't that benefit Bitcoin? Shouldn't you guys be doing really well? And I would say uh, the direct correlation isn't actually that, easy to spot because uh, at the end of the day, people don't want the Hong Kong dollar. Um, Bitcoin is not their first choice, right? For majority of people, they still do not understand uh, Bitcoin. They don't even understand blockchain. They don't understand the value of decentralization. Um, to them, it's just a very foreign concept, something like, you know, AI or machine learning and, and just something that hard to grasp, very hard to grasp for them. Um, so. Definitely like, you know, Hong Kong protests would not have driven Bitcoin demand, um, significantly. Um, but it is interesting to see what's happening right now in the U S where, I mean, obviously it's a much bigger issue in a much bigger market where, um, macro issues, um, with COVID COVID obviously, uh, I'm, I'm sure like for people who are watching Bitcoin's price movements early in the year, you know, it was just a huge liquidity crisis across all asset classes. Um, these kind of things matter. Yeah. But for, for a small country like Hong Kong, it it wasn't really a huge deal in terms of Bitcoin flow.
0: Yeah. Uh, and at Genesis, uh, block your, your head of trading, uh, what, uh, give us just a little bit of context for kind of how that works, how your team operates operationally, um, who kind of your, your trading partners are
1: things like that. Yeah. So, um, I would say, like, if you look at investment banking, so if you look at the market side, um, you know, there's a term sales trader. And I think that's the best way to describe what we're doing. Um, Because, you know, besides the clients who trade with us, we have our own like proprietary trading and, and we're using our own capital to generate returns. So it's actually a combination of, you know, liaising with the client, being a person that can communicate well, um, and at the same time, be able to trade other things. And it's a lot of uh, things happening at the same time. So um, just to give some background, like we trade in China, we trade in Korea, uh, quite a lot of volume in Thailand as well. Um, there's market making strategies and there's just pure arbitrage. And, and really throughout the day, depending on where you see opportunities, um, it does get very hectic. So, you know, we have a team of six traders. and um, They're basically multitasking and just putting resources on the higher priority uh, kind of trades. Um, So I think it's very hard to define one specific role that they're doing, but it's a combination of managing the client and also handling all our flows. Um, And on the other side of that, of course, we're trading with big OTCs. So if you break down the OTC market, there's the tier ones. So everybody knows about Circle, Galaxy, uh, Cumberland, DRW, uh, these big, big desks that sit on, you know, 100 million, 200 million worth of assets that have access to the deep liquidity. And we would be kind of piggybacking off that liquidity so that uh, we can, given that we have a niche client base and and markets that they can't see, uh, this is how we kind of find our value. Right. Uh, and th- that uh, client base, can you,
0: can you uh, talk about kind of geographically where that mostly sits for y'all? You, uh, you operate in Korea, Thailand, mainland China, uh, Hong Kong. Where's, where's kind of the, the breakdown of the client base,
1: uh, maybe percentage-wise? Yeah, so I think at the end of the day, China is, uh, you know, in terms of population and amount of capital that yeah. uh, is sitting there, uh, China is definitely going to be number one. Uh, Hong Kong is, you know, each market has its own kind of thing. So China is a market where everyone wants to move money in or out. Uh, It's a Mm -hmm. country that's very strictly regulated in terms of capital controls. And uh, people either go to like these underground kind of money exchanges, uh, but come along with crypto and they find this, you know, uh, pretty much, there's nothing illegal about it. Buying USDT with B is totally fine. And using that USDT to pay, you know, whoever on the other side of the border, um, this kind of use case is probably still number one. Mm-hmm. Um, for Hong Kong scenario, it's more about uh, pe- people are naturally a lot of them are wealthy. Uh, maybe they had property for the last decade, and obviously it's done super well. They want to diversify, and they want to you know get into Bitcoin. Um, so these kind of people are somewhat less, I would say, less educated than um, the younger generations now. But they like this hand holding service where. They want to learn from the beginning um, how this all works and they need to face a human. They don't want to be clicking on a screen. They don't understand, you know, oh, what's a bid and an ask? What's an order book? What does this chart mean? They, they're not really interested in that. They just need a broker they can trust. And, and that's kind of our uh, niche for Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, Korea, uh, Thailand, they all have their own little things. Like Thailand is a super interesting one because we only entered that market last year. Um, and we found out that in Thailand, nobody wants to do KYC. So they have exchanges, local exchanges, but people refuse to register there. And they've all been trading peer to peer, which is obviously mm-hmm. a relatively high risk method of trading. Um, so we stepped in saying, okay, like, you know, we have our founder there. We have guys who've been trading crypto there and we put a brand name to it and, um, all of a sudden like we have, we can provide the best liquidity instead of them searching, you know, posting in group chats, looking for a buyer or seller, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we're kind of like a one-stop shop and that's worked out very well for us.
0: Yeah. That's interesting.
1: Last time I saw Clement actually, it was, uh, randomly uh,
0: an exchange's office in in Bangkok. Uh, Oh wow. Yeah. (laughs) yeah. Um, yes, that's an interesting market. Want, Want to, uh, kind of dive in more into that, uh, um, sort of how y'all think about expansion and, and different markets around the world a, a little bit uh, more too. Um, first though, uh, kind of that competitive landscape for OTC um, mm. in Asia, you mentioned some of the, the blue chips that are um, you know based around the world, but where, what, is, what does it look like in Asia? Who are, um, you know, kind of size wise, can
1: you break that down a little bit? Yeah. So um, interestingly for Asia, uh, back in 2017, 18, there was an emergence of a lot of OTCs because All you needed was to onboard with a big US firm, and then you just need your own client base and you could technically start your own business. Um, However, looking at the current situation, a lot of them have disappeared. And I think it's just, um, it's not really about competition. It's just about managing your fiat flow. So what I mean by that is obviously bank accounts. Bank accounts are the absolute most valuable thing an OTC desk could have in Asia for sure. Like it might be different for other um, continents, but in general, most Asian countries are anti-crypto mostly because there's no laws in place to tell the bank, Hey, it's okay. Right? So uh, what you end up having to do is set up a bunch of different companies, a lot of different bank accounts um, just to, you know, facilitate trades that aren't even that big. It could be like 50,000 US dollars. 100,000 US dollars. And then you get these questions from the bank. The second you tell them, oh, um, you know, this was for a USDT trade. um, You're basically telling them to shut your bank account down. Mm -hmm. And this is the same problem. You know, it used to be the problem in Singapore. Um, I think things are getting better now, but like in general, most Asian countries um, are not okay with this. Um, And you can see what's going on in China recently as well, where they're just absolutely cracking down on you know all the guys who trade peer-to-peer crypto in um in china anyone who's big like there's even been people that are arrested for this and it's not really justified it's just like you know china is going to be china um we'll get into that but they kind of do whatever they want to do right yeah and and uh obviously that's something that's been
0: uh in the news this week even so maybe maybe you do dive in a little bit more on uh, kind of what's happening currently with uh bank account freezings and, the OTC market in China for USDT and Bitcoin.
1: Yeah. So in China, like uh, technically you can't have a B exchange. So you can't have like a Binance in there where they take B and let you, you know, freely trade, whatever. Um, but for some reason, China is okay with peer to peer trading. So the number one player is Huobi and they call that C to C, I guess, consumer to consumer. And um, this was a huge market. I mean, it's, you know, it, I think it could t- do ten to tens of millions of dollars a day. Um, I can tell you from personal experience that the, the liquidity is there. And um, we call these guys merchants who are basically market-making um, on these platforms where they just buy low and sell high, right? They buy low and sell high. The, they're carrying some stock for USDT, for instance. It's not, they just borrowed that, so they're not exposed. Uh, and they're just happy to um, just get as much volume as they can. And uh, these merchants often trade, you know, millions a day. Um, and all of a sudden, a few weeks ago, um, there's a crackdown regarding mon- illegal money exchanges. Um, these merchants that are that were linked to scam money, um, and, and really, you know, I'm not sure what the system is or what the protocol is when they freeze accounts. But basically, if you have a supply chain. And there were trans- the transaction started here and went one, two, three, four, five, that whole chain is all frozen. So n- the majority of the people that are involved don't even know that they're touching potentially dirty money. Mm-hmm. And-, and I think there's really low forgiveness um, as soon as they know you're involved with crypto. And um, we've had like teams, some teams like just disappear. And um, th- there's been crackdowns like this before, like probably like once or twice a year. Uh, but never to this extent. And um, you know, who knows what the what the nation's policy is right now, internally, but um, it does seem like kind of a coincidence where, you know, this year we've seen the most news about DCEP, which is the central-backed digital currency that China is supposedly going to launch this year, um, where, you know, they had launched, an, it kind of makes sense where they would launch a national currency, a national digital currency, and try to block all other, um, existing cryptos out there. Mm-hmm. So even if,
0: uh, kind of the, you talk about the line of transactions there, if, uh, you know, the OTC, uh, uh, folks and people on the other ends of those trades aren't, uh, connected to that, uh, you know, front end of the chain, they're still, uh, facing the consequences of it because they can track, uh, track it all, yep. which is part of what DCEP yep. is about too, I guess, to able to track,
1: uh track yeah for sure i mean it, it's clearly you know the government wants to they would prefer to have full transparency over it rather than not really know where the money's going
0: yeah and uh so how do you think about banking partners you you mentioned that that's kind of the the key to be able to operate uh what's kind of y'all's uh the strategy that y'all have employed if you can talk about yeah, it yeah so
1: um i think even when we were expanding. So obviously we started in Hong Kong first and, and then we found channels in Korea and then Japan, um, Thailand was last year. And, um, this is like the first step to when you decide you're going to enter a new market. Like at the end of the day, uh, you need people that can set up entities in that country, uh, set up bank accounts in that country and also manage those relationships. Um, you know in Hong Kong's case i think Korea as well the the rm the relationship manager at the bank is normally on your side like it's in their best interest to have more clients and more flow um i'm pretty sure those are their kpis so they're also scratching their heads trying to figure out okay i i know you, i understand your business um and i do agree that it's not illegal but how i need to think about how i can convince my compliance team to okay this right so this involves a lot of discussions A lot of, you know, it it takes time to like, if you don't know them that well, they're just going to say no, right. They're not going to put any effort to try and help you out. Mm -hmm. So, um, this is something that's kind of the know-how required to maintain OTC for a long time. And I think, you know, going back to your other question about competitive, like the competitive landscape, that's why there aren't really many players that, um, you know, are in the market right now. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm just looking, I'm just thinking about like Hong Kong, Singapore, it's probably like only three or four legitimate kind of desks that that have been around for over a year. Um, I think in Japan there's only one or two and in Thailand there's basically none. Um, so you can see like, it's not, it sounds like an easy business, but the whole, as soon as these touch Fiat, it gets really, really confusing and very, very complex. Um, which is kind of why, like if you look at the most successful companies in the crypto space, Uh, They're the ones that actually didn't touch Fiat. So BitMEX is the best example. Finance, obviously they were not a Fiat related exchange to start. Um, So yeah, I mean, hopefully that answers your question. Yeah, for sure. Um, Mm
0: -hmm. And uh, so risk, obviously there, Uh, what are some of the risks of kind of entering? So you've done some expansion. Uh, You've been in Korea for a while, done a lot between China and Hong Kong for a Mm -hmm. while. Uh, what are some of the risks of expanding in a new market? So you were entered Thailand in the last year, uh, talk a little bit about the process of how you decide where to go.
1: Uh, what some of the kind of risks associated with it are. Yeah. So it kind of piggybacks with, um, what I just mentioned about fiat channels. So even if you source a channel, um, the, the biggest risk overall is always counterparty risk and that applies to anyone who's trading crypto. Um, doesn't matter what medium, um. You know what form that takes but uh once you have a partner or somebody like there's obviously a lot of money going back and forth and it comes down to hey if something goes bad like will you still be there to be responsible and and kind of uh find a solution to get us the money back or you know like there's got to be somebody that you can trust where they're not just going to quit on you right um So, you know, like we've had cases, I guess, looking back, like in Korea, uh, another issue with dirty money, we had our bank account frozen numerous times, um, and, and those situations, like if you don't fully trust the person you're working with, um, like you physically have no control over, um, what's going on in that account, right? Like, yeah, Mm -hmm. you can fly over, but the account's probably not in my name. It's probably under their name. Uh, under the partner's name and so on. And and it really requires a lot of trust. Um, So these are risks that like you can try to, I guess, mitigate, but at the end of the day, there's always going to be a significant element there. And, um, you know, some of the other OTCs always, like we always joke about like, okay, if you can make 1% on a trade, um, always assume that's like 0.7%, just discount it by 30% because long-term something's going to go bad it's just, it's just going to happen. Like, there's nothing you can do to avoid it. Um, so for us, like, luckily we've not we haven't had any crazy, crazy, like any situations that are too crazy, but you know, definitely there's a couple situations where it kind of hurts. Like it would have been nice to get that money back, but, um, yeah. it's all, it's all about making enough money to make sure you can handle those situations. Right. For
0: sure. Uh, and most of these kind of account bank accountants, issues probably go, uh, kind of under the radar, but you, you know, uh, in Korea, I guess in the past couple of months, Binance has had some public issues with uh, a bank account they opened and have, uh, lost, lost access to for a bit, um, in terms of being able to deposit fiat. Um, Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, uh, so you know, you talk about, uh, you know, making one person on trade talk, talk a little bit about, uh, some of the kind of arbitrage opportunities that have, um, you know, come and gone over the last year. Uh, And then kind of what you see as trends, especially for South Korea, which we've, you know, the famous kimchi premium uh, and what you're seeing in Thailand uh, and China now in terms of, uh, you know, trends there on uh, spreads.
1: Yeah. um, So the thing about arbitrage is nobody knows for sure why it happens and nobody knows for sure whether it will come back. Right. Um, The kimchi premium is probably too extreme of a case where crypto really met mainstream for the first time and just given the nature of Koreans that love to gamble, um, guys that like, once they go, you know, if you look at their, like Starcraft and all their kind of like e-game e sports kind of activity, you know, like these, these, um, hardcore guys, once they get into something, they're going to pretty much put everything into it. Right. Um, and of course, like there's a lot of speculation of maybe the exchanges were kind of manipulating. Supporting the price level to maintain a premium. Uh, I mean, that's like quite a long time ago. Uh, But if you look at the current market now, uh, I think, I mean, there's still a lot of opportunities, not always there. I would say like two weeks out of the month, we we see something pretty like, I guess the word is like juicy, you know, worth trading. Mm
0: -hmm. Something
1: around like one to 2%. And yeah, I mean, I wish I knew why it happens, but quite frankly, like, I think when, when there's a country, when there's any country with capital control, um, you have to expect some kind of inefficiency. So even if you have market makers, um, in general, you have to assume that somebody that only trades a local market versus global market, uh, what they see as fair value, can only be different, right? Um. And I think that's what just normally happens. Korea, like, I think Korea hit like a 6% discount earlier in the year. Um, China's, you know, you'll see a 1% to 2% discount very, very quite frequently. Um, And I think a lot of it happens when Bitcoin moves a lot. So, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, BTC USD, uh, like during Black Thursday. So I think that was uh, March earlier in the year. Bitcoin goes down to like 4K. Uh smaller markets don't catch up as quickly, that's for sure. So you have a window, and um sometimes these windows are several days. Um so you know our job is you know, once you see it, like, you have to maximize, you have to pull all the leverage you have in the world to try and make as much money from this spread <laughs> while it's there. Um, and that's pretty much you know what we've been doing for almost three years now, and it still works. Um You know, uh, I mean, we're going to keep going at it while it's still there, right? I mean, there's other types of arbitrage that we could be looking at. Of course, a lot of the uh, funds that trade futures are are, are futures, perpetual swaps. Um, They're all looking at this basis trading, which is like funding rates. Um, There's a lot of strategies out there. And I think crypto is just, you know, if you look hard enough, there's always going to be something just because it's such a new market. Um, especially in like options, any new product for sure. Like there's going to be opportunities. Um, like I think for instance, derivatives is on the rise and, and there's no doubt. Um, there's a lot of demand for this, especially with like institutions and traditional funds trying to get exposure to crypto, but these are, you know, always heavily mispriced, um, it's actually difficult to know fair value anyway. So, um if you have a lead, if you have good liquidity here and you can take a lead on that, I'm sure, you know, for any of these new products, there's a lot of money to be made.
0: Yeah. Uh, and the prop trading that y'all do, who, uh, or what do you So there has definitely been a, a trend of, uh, these derivatives, um, uh, you know, becoming more popular, you have FTX, uh, really becoming kind yep. of a new York corner over there recently. Uh, talk a little bit about the market for that, uh, in terms of platforms and then in terms of, um, new products that are coming out, you have some, some mining derivatives coming out. Uh, how do y'all think about mm-hmm. that? Do y'all, do y'all incorporate any of this, uh, in your project on your prop trading, uh, strategies, you have a mining background, talk
1: about more what you do with, um, on the derivative mm-hmm. side, I guess. So, um, this is an area that we continue to look at, but we haven't quite got a grasp of what is really risk-free. Um, mm-hmm. so an example of that would be, uh, you know, I don't know, maybe we can look at like hash rate futures, right? FTX, uh, I think, you know, they, I think, uh, they're probably not the first to launch something like this, but it's, I think they're the first to do cash settled hash rate futures and, um, you know, uh, like we're very close with them. So, so we asked them about why they listed this, does it actually help miners hedge? Uh, and, and a lot of time, like, I think in reality, uh, probably not. So, I don't think it's a pure hedge for miners, but it is at the end of the day like futures markets are a lot for gambling anyway and speculation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's great to see like FTX try these different markets. Um, so, what they listed Kyber, right? I mean, there's a crazy, crazy demand for DeFi right now. Um, and and for them they're really incentivized to list things that look like would be attractive to for a lot of volume to come in. So for a defi token like how would you short that? Like there's no way you can borrow those tokens. There's not a good lending market for it. Um but if you have perpetual swaps where you can do leverage and you can short like that makes sense. Um mm-hmm. So I think we're going to see more of these listings for kind of more illiquid tokens mm-hmm. becoming more liquid. And I think Uh, to be honest, FTX is going to lose, probably going to lose in the beginning. Um, just because, you know, they're, they're trying to market, make something that's very illiquid, but it's, it's an investment where, um, they, they know that because it's unique if they wait it out and given that they're fantastic, you know, I'm I'm, very smart minds behind FTX. So, um, over time, uh. Tr- creating liquidity for illiquid things is probably, you know, it should be very positive for the space in the long run.
0: Yeah. And good marketing in the short run either way, I guess, uh, too. Yeah. Um, and, the the, uh, the pairs that y'all have the most volume with, is there a difference, uh, in terms of, um, you know, BTC stablecoin pairs, uh, in Thailand, Korea, uh, China, w- what are you seeing as
1: trends trends uh, for those? Yeah. So interestingly, uh, Compared to 2017, 2018, the number of coins we trade are shrinking pretty much to a point where we only trade BTC and and, uh, USDT. Of course, like there's general demand for other stable coins uh, like USDC and PAX and so on, but even like ETH and any top 10 altcoin, uh, just everyone took such a beating and and Bitcoin was (laughs) outperforming, to be honest, like I think last year it outperformed. This year is probably outperforming up, up up until like the recent alt run, but in general, like this flight to quality um, is the continuous theme, especially given the macro issues, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think if you look at country by country, it's not a huge difference. Uh, people can punch shitcoins, coins, but uh, the size of these trades are obviously not going to be anywhere close to. What they, you know, when they use Bitcoin to store value, Bitcoin for their general savings, USDT to, um, you know, make payments. Like, all coins don't have, uh, they have no chance of challenging this kind of size, right? For sure. Uh, and then back to back to Hong Kong, uh,
0: y'all are, I mean, essentially kind of the storefront for Bitcoin uh, in Hong Kong. Um, what are you seeing as kind of trends uh, just in the last in the last six months or so? and moving forward on the institutional side. It's what, you know, everyone is uh, looking forward to. What what are you seeing as trends on the institutional side? Um, New funds popping up.
1: Uh, What are you seeing there in Mm -hmm. Hong Kong? Yeah, so, um, you know, I would love to say a lot of positive things here, but um, the reality is uh, there's a lot of hype around. (laughs) There's a lot of hype around having, obviously. Uh, I mean, Mm -hmm. it's, you know, it comes around once every four years. it's like the most clearest, clearest like description of, you know, Bitcoin's limited supply, um, you know, inflation rate coming down, and um, a lot of people wanted to trade this event. Uh, but now that that's over, we're you know everyone's kind of scratching their heads, like okay, so it's already rallied to ten k. It's challenged the ten k level numerous times this year. Uh, what what's it going to take to get us to a new all time high? Um, You know, there's got to be positive events. And, and, you know, the news flow is generally very positive, right? Like, you you look at how well CME futures are doing, um, CME options. Like, this is all mostly institutional flow. And if you look at kind of open interest in general for futures and and options across the major players, it's just reaching, like, all-time highs. Um, So this is super positive, but it's difficult to explain that. To the to average Joe they don't understand oh why does volume really matter like um like they they, they don't they haven't looked at previous kind of asset classes as they emerge mm-hmm. um but you know we're seeing very positive signs along the volume front um in terms of interest from institutions uh yeah i mean we have the occasional kind of you know like celebrity slash wealthy guy so somebody that has a family name and kind of ping us about like wanting to learn about Bitcoin and possibly making an investment. Um, but most of these are kind of like one-time kind of deals. Um, it's really just for their own benefit to learn about the space and get their first little piece. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely not going to say like, oh, all the traditional hedge funds in Hong Kong are reaching out to us to try and find out how to, you know, safely trade Bitcoin. Um, that is definitely not the case. and there's a big reason for that, which is equities is a lot more exciting to trade than crypto right now. Like I've, I have, so, so you know, my background is also on the traditional equity side. And if I speak to my friends who are portfolio managers, hedge fund managers, um, they were trading crypto last year and, and they would, they would kind of gamble a little bit on FTA. Uh, I mean, on BitMEX. And, um, and I ping them this year and they're like, yo, like the equities markets are going crazy. A um, lot of good kind of punts. Um and, and you know, just look at look at um, Nikola Nikola Motors. So it's supposed to be the new Tesla. They haven't delivered a single car yet. Their share price is, you know, their market cap is like bigger than Ford or something like that, right? It's something ridiculous where people are just buying into a concept, which looks a lot like two thousand and seventeen ICOs, right?
0: Yeah, that's that's what uh, that's what it looks like. I think it was two x Ford's market cap at one point too.
1: Uh, but yeah, that so, kind of
0: Robin hood effect is, is uh, something that's right. been talked about a lot in the U S
1: yeah. So even as I sit, you know, I'm watching the markets full time. Um, it does get kind of boring. Cause like, you know, I mean right now, yeah, great. We have a good DeFi theme going Rune and, and all these like DeFi related coins are, are, you know, doing very well, but like we if you've been in the market long enough, you know, like this is super short lived. And now it's definitely not a situation that can be compared to the ICO boom. Like the ICO boom fundamentally is different to any altcoin brand that we've seen uh, since then. So, you know, I'm sitting here just like, okay, yeah, I've seen that before. It's probably going to be like, you know, a month and then it's going to all crash back down and people are going to wake up. Um, And and you're kind of, it's kind of like you're trading stocks, but you can only trade one stock which is, Bitcoin, right? <laughs> yeah, and, nice, and you, nice you know, everything, of, you know, everything about Bitcoin and and it's just like, it kind of, it's, it's a grind, right? Cause there's not enough new things happening.
0: Yeah. We just need this, uh, we just need this bull run to really kick off, pull everyone back in. Um, what's, yeah. what's, uh, the, um, the kind of market I think there's been some interesting things on kind of a like company equity side that have, um, come around, uh, over there recently uh, you had ftx uh raise um kind of an interesting way with the token and then equity uh you have uh three arrows shopping uh, dare bit around a little bit over there um yeah any thoughts on uh what's happened so far anything that you could see kind of on the horizon for that
1: uh that kind of secondary yeah equity so market? um i think there's not going to be a ton of these you know opportunities um, people, you know, I think enough people got burned uh, in 2017 and 18. Uh, Derivate and FTX are kind of, you know, unique animals, right? So Derivate mm-hmm. has always been a leader in the options space um, and, and QCP and uh, Three Arrows, like, they, they understand traditional markets and realize when the institutional herd comes uh, they're going to want to trade derivatives first, probably because in general spot, especially for crypto, it's just too difficult to handle. Um, obviously you can use a third party, but there's a lot more in terms of leverage and like structured products that can come out of derivatives rather than just trading spot, right? Um, so Deribit, you know, it, it was a monster already and, and um, you know, kind of a, a, a funding round kind of made sense, I guess, um, FTX, So I think the the equity t- I didn't I don't think they need the money I'm going to be really honest like we're, mm-hmm. we're like we're very close with the guys there and 100% they don't really need uh funding like ftt like you just you must have seen the performance where um it's basically a what is it 30x yeah 300x Sorry, 30x 30x it's a 30x right now um yeah they're there. Alameda, the quant fund behind it, is printing money as it speaks. FTX, um, you know, I think it's like a top five in futures volume now. So that's obviously printing money in terms of trading fees. Uh, it's just, I think it's just more about the community and getting people to have a little skin in the game, uh, get some more loyal kind of yeah. user base, um, get them more involved. And uh, I was very surprised they did that because, like, it's issuing equity using a token. Um, I can't imagine how much time they spent speaking with lawyers to try and get the green light, right? I know it's not available in the U S which is probably the smart move. but they've also launched FTX.US, right? Yeah. So that's in like a yeah, couple months. So that's, that's probably the Binance model where, you know, I mean, given Binance has an equity stake in FTX, they probably advise on, on these things as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I think the big guys, the smart guys are going to keep growing. Um, and it's going to get harder for new players to really try to make a, you know, uh, trying to make their name in this space. Right.
0: Yeah. Uh, and so as y'all look to the kind of rest of the year here, uh, you've already had some expansion in the last year or so, uh, what's kind of the next year look like for y'all? How are you, how are you trying to stay competitive? How are you trying to grow and expand?
1: yeah so uh we just closed our series a preferred series a round um that was done in i guess march okay and I didn't know that. uh our our strategic investor is f t x slash alameda right gotcha um so now you can you kind of see why I'm speaking positively about f t x but' you know, I, I, <laughs> Full disclosure um, now I, I'm not sure you're coding it like that's how I felt about them before the more I learned uh-huh. about them, the more interesting like the more I realize how smart they are. Um, So, you know, as I mentioned, like we don't- Can you share details around the Series A? Yeah, so the numbers are not gonna be revealed um, on this podcast, but I think it should be in crypto media, like probably at this end of this month. We've been kind of holding off because one of the first initiatives of this was, like we are not a tech savvy, like we're not super tech driven kind of company. So we needed to really benefit off of their developers. And the first thing they're building for us is a RFQ platform. And, um, that's not very difficult because they have one already, they have one already, but, um, for us, because we have our own client base and certain fiat markets that they don't have access to, Mm -hmm. um, they're going to, you know, they've built one for us. It's already in beta testing. We've invited our existing clients to already trade there. Okay. And, uh, once we kind of, you know, get all the tweaks done. Uh, we wanted to launch, wanted to make, make a media push where we put together, oh, we did We raise capital, strategic investment, plus, you know, rolling out our RFQ, um, kind of do it all in one go. And, and at the end of the road, like, you know, everybody wants to do an exchange, uh, and, and we're no different, right? Like, um, if you look at Hong Kong, the existing products are not. Like I, I can't really speak highly of them. Um, we've tried to trade there as well. Um, we have okay relationships, but at the end of the day, it's like not a great product. And we think with the help of FTX, um, we can definitely do better and, and just you know kind of take over the market hopefully. Um, and of course, like the whole pie is going to keep growing. So everyone's been, everyone should do well. Sure. Um, but I, we see no reason to really like not go after it. Um. And yeah, so like this year is all about, you know, kind of uh, getting ready for big demand in the future. So maybe this year won't be that year where we go to 50K or 30K or whatever, but it's, you know, we're here because we believe it's gonna happen. And when it does, uh, we can't have everybody trading on chat. Right, you can imagine like, if 50 people ping you at the same time, how are we gonna manage that, right? We need platforms that we trade 24 seven, uh, you know, track all your trade history, real-time balances, um, you know, 24 seven customer support. Uh, this is what we need in place to capture that kind of market. Right.
0: Yeah. Uh, and that, that, uh, more peer to peer, uh, way that you've been operating is, I and mean, it makes sense to, to, uh, uh, kind of how you're talking about Thailand and entering some of these other markets, how that's an advantage. And then bringing this into the fold, uh, is, you know, better for growth overall. Um, and that the market for exchanges in Hong Kong is kind of an interesting one to have have watched over the last you know six years or so, where yeah. you had some of the early players, uh, you know, have had some banking account issues, and you know, a couple of the earliest have closed down. Um, hmm. So, your what do you see as kind of the future for that exchange market
1: in Hong Kong? Is uh, yeah. yeah, so I mean, back you know back in two thousand seventeen, it was ANX. Um, and then Tidebit emerged, uh, and, and Tidebit is still around. ANX, I think, so they've completely rebranded um, to OSL Exchange. So OSL is the new entity name for Octagon um, at the time, and they're still, you know, considered one of the largest OTCs in Asia. Um, and you know, the difference there is they're very focused on, uh, you know, being compliant with regulators. And making sure they don't, they don't want to do anything unless they're absolutely sure that it will get the green light for any future licensing. Um, there's actually a rumor going around. I think it's pretty much confirmed uh, at this point. But um, as you know, um, ANX, which is like now, like they did like a reverse listing through BC Group. Um, so they're under a listed company. So all the more reason for them to be compliant. Uh, mm-hmm. They were part of the government sandbox for exchanges. And there's a rumor around that they will be the first to get whatever this new license is going to be, right? And their share price has taken off uh, because of these rumors. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's their strategy. Um, in terms of whether that actually leads to an explosive growth of business, I'm not so sure because um, like if you look at the current crypto market space, all the guys who are institution only tend to kind of struggle. So BitMEX versus CME. Um, like, if you, if you keep putting too many barriers for the average person to trade, naturally you're at a disadvantage. Um, like we've had clients, basically angry people coming over saying, hey, um, this other firm made me, you know, like we spent a month trying to onboard and it didn't work out. Like, can, can we work with you? Right. Yeah. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying like what they're doing is wrong. Right. Like, I, and I'm not, you know, I'm not a hundred percent sure what it's going to look like five years from now once all the, the kind of guidelines are in place. But, you know, from our perspective, it's just, okay, so are we doing something illegal? Like, are we going to get in trouble for this? No, fine. Let's do it. Right. And that that's kind of the same mindset that FTX has as well. Like, you know, um, it's just very opportunity driven. Um, if, if you try to try to manage or hedge every single risk out there, um, it's just going to stop you from achieving a lot of the things you want to do. So, um, yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's been the story of, uh, these explosive growth stories that we've seen is, uh, maybe having a little bit of higher risk tolerance, including Bitmax and yeah, Binance exactly. and OFTX. Uh, so, uh, you know, it makes sense for certain people to think about it that way um and in in terms of size that you all do versus like an osl formerly octagon is uh does that hinder you all in terms of being able to um uh handle handle size or and then this uh, ftx
1: deal does that how does that affect um yeah so i think the size of your book mostly matters when so i mean just say you know um When we are going to trade with somebody bigger than us and and they're trying to analyze what is the counterparty risk here? The first thing they do is ask for your books. They want to know how much cash you're sitting on. um, If a trade goes south, are we good for it? um, And and what kind of risks we're taking as we trade as well. So, Mm -hmm. so even when we're looking at new desks, um, we'll ask them the same thing. Uh, If we're already trading with these big dogs, and you want me to trade with you, like, why should I, right? Pricing is amazing across the board now. I mean, uh, it's just getting, you know, it's been ridiculous for a while now where, where it looks like they're not even making money, but it's obviously a fight for market share. Um, So pricing is great. Second thing we look at is book size. Um, So meaning, okay, they're probably not going to disappear. Like they can, they can afford to make a few mistakes and they're going to be fine. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the third what's, thing what's would be, the, specifically, what's, what's kind of the, what's your threshold there? Yeah. So it's, uh, it's just like, we would prefer, if someone's giving us liquidity, a bigger desk, ideally we want them to have at least hundred million in assets. Um, because you know, if they lose a buck or two on a trade, that's not going to mean anything to them. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and and also having a big book is important when you need to settle quickly that's so so important so if, if i if i trade 3 million usdt with you um i've settled i expect to be i expect to have the other side of the trade um you know within hopefully within a few hours worst case um and that's kind of an asia thing i would definitely say that's the asia kind of tendency where especially in like china and like there's A lot of these guys in China that expect immediate settlement, like Mm -hmm. they send money and if you don't send it within five minutes, they start chasing you. Right. And that's just like a cultural thing. I think just from historical practice Mm -hmm. Um, in the U.S., I heard that most funds do not care at all about late settlement. They, they don't mind waiting a day. Um, So it's a little bit of a different culture there. Um, But this is where, you know, book size comes in because you know, if your book size is five mil, there's no way you can trade 10, 20 mil. So everything will be settled kind of a day later because you're, you're waiting for somebody else to pay. So, you know, those are the benefits of having a large book. However, um, you also have to realize like, um, you know, it's kind of like any other investment, the amount of equity you have, uh, you have to generate returns to match that amount of equity. So, um, for us, like we've always, had good channels to source um, extra capital when we need it, just because we're such an opportunity driven um, kind of team. So, you know, FTX also helps a lot with this. Um, We also have other shareholders um, that are much larger than us that are able to give us fiat or coins, whatever that may be. Yeah.
0: Uh, Just curious, how how tied into kind of the mining operations are you? Are you getting, uh, do, do you think you all have an advantage because of the um, kind of firsthand access you have to the information from, uh, you know, you'll have a uh, pretty good size of mining. Any kind of advantages there?
1: Yeah, so um, mining operations were actually never officially a part of Genesis block. Um, it was, you know, obviously it's, it's the same founders were running these operations separately and they were doing that before genesis block started um in terms of mining flow however uh we have a couple of like smaller players that do trade with us regularly but definitely i think most of that goes to to desks like um bit so bitmain has a or jihanwu has a like um kind of bitmain sister company matrix, uh, matrix port yeah and and, and you know they they're actually relatively new but they're doing very well just because of you know the bit main influence um trying to build that minor ecosystem so um certainly like they're seeing a big chunk of that flow out of china um for us i would say not so much yeah uh and then the the flows that you are seeing uh
0: is it more is it more driven by yeah, you know, have you seen any trends on? Hey, I could I'm kind of saying that this is people wanting to get money out of these certain places into, yep. uh, you know, Bitcoin or or, or USDT. Um, is that kind of still the trend you see? Is that what you see moving
1: forward too? Yeah. So um, money moving, I think, until the governments really try to shut it all down, um, it's just going to continue because there's just so much money, so much capital stuck in a country. Um, and, and crypto still looks like one of the best ways to do it. Uh, if you look at traditional, I mean, like regular money exchanges, um, they will, you know, kind of rip your face off, right? They're going to charge you 3%, 5% um, just because like they're taking all the risk. And um, I'm sure they have, you know, some kind of, some some shady way to like get this money across the border. Um, so crypto kind of completely disrupts that almost to a point where, money exchanges are pretty much all adopting crypto now. Um, so we see flows and like, so when, when it comes to cash and money moving, casinos is one of the largest like end um, consumers of that. Right. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of guys. Um, for instance, uh, I could be a wealthy Korean. I'm gambling in Manila. Um, I run out of, I run out of us dollars or pesos and I tell my broker, Hey, like I have, tons of money in Korea. Is there any way I could wire you, Korean one, locally, and then you hand me US dollar cash in Manila, right? I believe this is illegal in, in Korea under Korean law, but I'm not so sure about you know other countries. But- well, The, the capital controls good. in Korea are, are still 50K or so a year, USD. Yeah, 50K USD to physically carry out cash, and, and wiring as well. So if you wire out, uh, after 50K USD, they automatically start reporting to government entities, right? Um, but if you think about that, like imagine how much money is being moved around in Macau and Manila every day. Um, That's interesting. A lot of people use crypto to get the money there, right? Um, and, and and you know, like if you think about it, hey, like should I fly cash, get on a plane, and like you know, like risk getting caught by customs and all this, versus just sending USDT on the internet? Uh, i 'm going to pick u s d t every time right pretty clear winner
0: pretty clear winner yeah. uh and uh yeah certainly one of the use cases that uh has borne out as effective for bitcoin and stable coins um, uh and then uh, I guess to close out uh we maybe a predict any any kind of predictions you have for the rest of the year uh, yeah
1: um i don't know you know i think it's better just to look at. The maybe two or three month horizon just because crypto changes so quickly um, but it seems very clear that a lot of attention is gonna to go to the alts, and it's already happening right um, like having was the best thing ever like I haven't seen that much interest in Bitcoin since two thousand early two thousand and eighteen right um, and and having just going through such a big event nothing else is going to compare. Um, if any, any kind of positive that comes out is never not gonna be to the same scale as having. Um, therefore, I feel like when news is kind of quiet, Bitcoin tends to underperform. That's just my, you know, from my general experience, when people get bored, they don't trade Bitcoin. Um, so, you know, if you are watching crypto, um, like I'll look out for a lot of opportunities where like kind of uh, black swan events happen um, like bart action, right? Like pumps and then dumps like a few minutes later. Right. Um, kind of looking out for those kind of opportunities to either buy or sell um, makes a lot of sense. But again, it is pretty much gambling and and there's no way to know the direction it's going to go. But I definitely feel when the markets are boring, um, a lot of that's going to happen. And, um, All season, you know, I think general sentiment on on Twitter and so on has been mostly positive this year. Crypto is in the limelight with like, Oh, US dollar, like, okay, the feds printing trillions. And, and, you know, this is like pretty much the last kind of hope for them where they give direct uh, funding into like corporate bonds. And, and these are, these are like unprecedented kind of things that the fed is doing. Right. Um, So, you know, everyone thinks Bitcoin slash crypto is kind of um, trendy and and something that goes against um, the governments. So, uh, you know, it's positive sentiment. But if Bitcoin is boring, you got to look at other kind of place. Um, and I think that's you know, I I, I before the having, I really thought we we're gonna see a really big run to fifteen twenty k USD this year. Um, but you know, the momentum kind of died very quickly. Um, and, and it's not like Bitcoin dumped hard. So we're kind of in this no man's land. Mm-hmm right. Um, yeah, a little bit so, of a boring long, spot to be as <laughs> yeah. long story short. That's, that's probably the right word. Like, you know, after having, I'm kind of bored. Um, yeah, fair I'd like enough. To see, I want to see like Binance go bust or like someone get hacked, something that repositions the market. Um, cause right now, like. You know, everybody's. If you look at uh, longs versus shorts, it's been pretty much the same all year. Like everybody is long, um, to get, and then if it dumps, to get to get some liquidations after a few days, longs load back up. Everyone's bullish, and 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 it's like everybody knows that everyone's bullish already. So it just <laughs> there's nothing to surprise the market. Yeah, and I'd rather see Bitcoin kind of struggle and like you know hit maybe like 8K, 7K, where people kind of almost lose faith. And that's another opportunity for us to buy back in, you know, but the black Thursday wasn't exciting enough for you for the year. You
0: need some more. Yeah. I need more of those. Definitely need more of those. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. And, uh, uh, last thing actually is a recommendation. So you're, you're in Hong Kong now, but, uh, you've spent some time in the U S and in Korea. Give us one recommendation it can be a restaurant movie, uh, you know, anything uh, related to maybe Hong Kong that, uh, you'd recommend somebody who hasn't, hasn't been around there yet.
1: Oh, this is a tough one. Um, I've been stuck at home for so long. I don't even know what's good anymore. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. I saw I saw a movie on Netflix. It's a Korean movie. Came out like a month ago. I think it's called like. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna have to send you the link for this. But I thought it was super cool because it was set in the like in the future, like ten years from now where the okay. Korean one had no value anymore. And and banks would refuse to take your Korean one. So everyone was like basically poor and trying to like find US dollars. And oh, the full story is about this group of guys trying to pretty much rob a casino to leave Korea because they hate their government. So I think that's okay. very, you know, kind of crypto related. Yeah, um, yeah. We
0: probably see the future of yeah. everyone trying to get Bitcoin to the USD, but yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. We'll, we'll toss, the, toss the link in. And then Parasite was, uh, I mean, uh, one of the best, the best oh. picture this year. So Korean film has yeah. uh, really taken off.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to say the film I just talked about was good. Um, but the concept <laughs> was cool, right? Um, yeah, yeah, Parasite, sure. I think Parasite, like, so I've been watching Korean movies for obviously a long time. And Parasite was good, but I think there's a lot of good, movie, like, good Korean movies to that level. Like, Korea has their kind of own little, I, I don't know how to describe this, I'm not an artsy guy, but... Um, The way they create their movies, just like how Japan is really good at horror movies, like Korea is good at certain kind of concepts, like something really like twisted. They're also very good at like romance stuff and whatever. But it's just like the the Korean soaps
0: are maybe the most popular thing to watch in China. Oh, yeah.
1: yeah. (laughs) Always like top 10 on Netflix. Um, Yeah. can't Can't stand to watch them. Like, I mean, I used to like them when I was younger, but it's just kind of the same thing over and over, right? Yeah. Yeah. All right,
0: Korean film, just in general, is a recommendation too. All right, man. Uh, good talk. And uh, hope right, to John. see you in Hong Kong soon. We can get some yeah. travel going again. Thanks again. Have a good day. All of the content in this episode is for informational purposes only. You should not construe any such information or other material as legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. Nothing contained in this presentation constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement, or offer by BTC Media, the Let's Talk Bitcoin Podcast Network, or any third-party service provider to buy or sell any securities or other financial instruments.